everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 35 of the show. We are continuing our journey through September 1963. And it's kind of weird because we're recording this like a long time ago in September 2018. So it's like... There's an exact number of years, and if I could just do 55, we're yeah. exactly 55 years ago in our comics. 55 years ago, someone was taking this off a spinner rack, I guess, huh? Right. Or a, new, or a newspaper magazine rack thing or something, and, and reading it, and then throwing it away. You know, I had that Superman podcast I did that about this, right? Because they're all disposable. Yeah. Um, that giant Superman podcast I had with Bob Fisher. Uh, he was actually reading comics off the stands back in this era. So, oh, did he, he keep like, them? Uh, he, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how many he kept from his childhood. But it's like I can imagine he sees Avengers and Superman next to each other, and he grabs the Superman. And I can't fault him. But you know, we're going to talk about the Marvel ones. Yeah, well, Marvel was new. Superman was pretty uh, staple at that point. I assume he was still selling the most. Yeah, I think he was. Um. I thought it might be worth just a quick moment to um, remind the listeners about how we're picking our order, because we're getting into an era where character stories might to start overlapping. Mm -hmm. um, now, what we're doing is we're using Mike's Amazing World and the records he has found for, you know, alleged on sale dates or approximate on sale dates or ship dates or whatever for these comics. And then within a given week, we're using the complete Marvel reading order to kind of put them in a chronology. So the Thor issue we covered last episode and this issue, the Avengers number two, both have Thor in them. But according to the complete Marvel reading order, the human Cobra story happened earlier than this. And the giant man appearance here happens before the Tales to Astonish issue we're going to talk about in a minute. And I bet I can tell why, because... Like we were saying last episode, that Thor kind of just carried over one issue to the next. So if you threw uh -huh. this, if you threw this Avengers in between that, it'd be kind of weird that he had this little mini adventure and then went home and got mad about Jane. That does make complete sense. You are right. Yeah. Um, but speaking of this issue, we are talking about the second issue of Avengers. So last episode, we did the second issue of X-Men. We'll see who fares better, X-Men versus the Avengers. Um, this came out September 3rd also, cover dated November 1963 also. It's called The Space Phantom, and it's about um, Kang. No, I'm just kidding. It's about The Space <laughs> Phantom. It's written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inks by Paul Reinman, and letter by Artie Semek. And it starts out with, like, the Avengers all just hanging out. They're hanging out at uh, what we'll assume eventually be called Avengers Mansion, but right now it's called Tony Stark's Mansion. There, are, Someone makes some mention about how it's nice that Tony Stark let them use his house or something. Um, and Thor's annoyed that Hulk didn't come properly dressed because he always just wears purple pants. And, of course, Hulk doesn't like that. So they try and fight, but then Giant Man and Wasp show up. And make it about them, talking about their new pills that they take to become big and small and stuff. And Hulk's like, why are we even meeting? There's nothing bad happening. And they're like, yeah, but we're going to meet every week anyway just to get to know each other. And as if that was like, you know, uh, foreshadowing. It is because we then cut to space 
and there's this egg looking thing that comes into the uh, comes near Earth, and then it turns into an asteroid, and then it sort of floats down safely onto the ground and becomes what is known as the Space Phantom, which is like a dude who's like really freaky looking with buggy eyes and weird hair and all in purple. And he could shape change, and he thinks to himself how he's here to try and defeat the Avengers because if he can defeat the Avengers, then the rest of his people can come to Earth and take over the planet. So that old chestnut. Uh, so he goes to Avengers Mansion. Oh, he goes disguised as a human. So what he does, here's his shtick. He zaps someone into limbo and then assumes their form. So he just grabs some guy, some poor guy off the street, turns into him. That guy gets put into limbo. He goes to Avengers Mansion and just walks in. And the Avengers see him on like the television or their table television. And the Hulk runs ahead and confronts him. And the Space Phantom... Uh, shoots um you know the hulk into limbo and takes his form and the rest of the avengers didn't see it because they are behind so he comes back and he picks a fight with iron man and they get into a brawl and then thor breaks it up and then fake hulk runs away or you know um says forget this i'm leaving and crushes like through the walls and stuff and outside the avengers mansion happens to be our old pal rick jones uh who i guess is just like waiting around in case the hulk ever comes outside and he's like hey hulk Remember me and Space Phantom fake That's Hulk. what he does. Huh? What's that? This is what he does. Yeah, that's what he does. And Space Phantom fake Hulk, of course, doesn't remember Rick. So he tries to play off that he does. It doesn't really work very well. And Rick's like, let me jump on your back and you could take us back to our home base. And so he jumps on his back and then he goes the totally the wrong direction because he doesn't know where home base is. He's not the real Hulk. So, of course, Rick figures this out fairly quickly. And the Space Phantom being full of himself and full of his newfound awesome Hulk power is like, you know what? I don't even need to lie to you, kid. I don't care if you know. Throws him off and says, I'm not the Hulk. I'm the Space Phantom. See? And he shows himself as the Space Phantom. Then he turns back to the Hulk and then he flies away or jumps away, I should say. And I think he like wrecks some missile, anti-missile thing at Iron Man's plant. So that, of course, alerts Tony. And Tony goes to confront, quote unquote, Hulk. And they get into a fight. And... Um, oh, Rick Jones, knowing that the Hulk is fake, uses his um, – those guys. What are they called? I forget their the names. The Team Brigade. Right? The Team Brigade. Thank you. He uses the Team Brigade hotline to call Giant Man and the Wasp. And they show up. And meanwhile, the Iron Man like electrocutes Hulk, which normally wouldn't hurt the Hulk except Space Phantom is a crybaby weasel. And he gets scared of it. So he turns into a wasp. And the real Hulk – comes back, but he doesn't know what's going on because he's been in limbo. So the Iron Man and Hulk keep fighting because Iron Man doesn't realize that fake Hulk was fake Hulk before and he keeps fighting the real Hulk. And anyway, Wasp and Giant Man show up and the Space Phantom as a Wasp attacks the Wasp and that alerts Giant Man because now he has this awesome circuitry in his head that has like built-in Wasp sense danger or something. So he's (laughs) like, Janet! And he goes to try and rescue her and they end up in like Tony Stark's factory and basically the space phantom kind of plays them all. Like every time he turns a corner, he turns into a different Avenger. So they don't never know who they're fighting. Iron Man, Giant Man and Hulk are getting in this big obnoxious fight. Um, and they never know which is the bad guy, and which is not. Wasp is kind of like, forget all this. I'm going to go find Thor. So she goes to uh, Donald Blake's office and says, Hey, I hear you know how to find Thor. He says, Oh yeah, just a minute. Why don't you uh, leave the room? And she leaves the room. He turns to Thor and he says, oh, hey, yeah, I'm just randomly here. And she's like, oh, okay. I suspect nothing. Come on. And she takes him back 
And he shows up and pretty much stops everything because he's the mighty Thor and he's super awesome in 1963 as like the most powerful person around. Um, he like makes it rain. And that uh, Russ Iron Man, who at the moment is the Space Phantom. So the Space Phantom's like, well, I'm going to become Thor then and tries to banish Thor to limbo. But Thor just stands there and goes, yeah, that only works on humans. That doesn't work on me because I'm a god. And of course, it backfires and the Space Phantom ends up going into his own self-imposed limbo and now uh everyone's back and they're all dusting it off and they're like wow that was really embarrassing i'm glad it's over and hulk's like i heard what you guys called me when you thought i when you didn't know i was space phantom and i heard what you called me like after i came back you guys don't respect me you hate me and i don't want to be part of your team anymore you're stupid and he jumps off and they were all kind of like well that was inevitable the end (laughs) yeah So so issue two we're already down a guy we are down a guy in issue two. Um, okay, so I was looking at the introduction to the Marvel Masterworks for the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And Lee actually, Stanley actually says they put the Hulk on the team because they figured that he would cause some, um, drama. You know, some, some drama and some conflict and mm-hmm. be a source of contention. And here's the way I kind of read it. Hulk left the team here. I'm not entirely certain they planned on him never coming back. I think they left. he left the team because they thought that'd be good drama. Mm-hmm. And next issue, they do this up with Submariner because that's good drama. But then they get the idea to bring back Captain America. Yeah. And then once they do that, they no longer need the Hulk on the team. That could definitely be how it went. Another thing I was thinking is, like I told you on a different episode, uh, when we covered Fake Cap and the Human Torch... Right. They had that letter page where they're like, we're thinking of bringing Cap back, but before we do, we're going to create a story where he's sort of back, but not really. Wink, wink. Read it and tell us what you think. So, like, I feel like that was always in the works at some point to maybe bring him back, but maybe not to add him to the Avengers, per se. And it just worked out that way. Yeah. I don't know. Because it does seem silly to put Hulk Hulk on this issue and then have him immediately just be off the team forever. Right. Right. And if they really wanted to bring Captain America back for the Avengers, they could have done it in the first issue. So probably bringing Captain America back was a separate idea mm-hmm. that ended up that ended up being here where they did it. Yeah, exactly. Because they could have done they it. Can, they could have done it anywhere. Yeah. I, I I strongly suspect that bringing Captain America back was a big gamble in their minds because he's so patriotic and so tied to World War II as a concept. They weren't entirely mm-hmm. sure to be able to work. And so putting him in the Avengers is sort of like a have your cake and eat it too. You can bring the character back, but you don't have to make a book for him. Yeah, and he's also very DC, you know, Mr. Square Jawed, do the right thing all the time guy. Yeah. And they're making these characters that all have problems. So when we get to Avengers 4, we could talk about the problem they gave him. But that wasn't maybe they had to come up with that idea before they were happy with bringing him back at all. Right, right. But this is uh, this is not Avengers 4. This is Avengers no. 2. Yeah. And the space phantom, yo. So Hulk has three toes. Throughout this issue, he has three toes. Or at least the splash page. And I don't think that's been true before, has it? It looks really weird. Three toes on the cover, three toes on the splash page. Oh my Um, gosh. There's actually some debate over whether or not Hulk should have three or four toes. He does have three throughout this book. But not his first appearance. He has five. Does he have five in his first appearance? As the Gray Hulk, he has all his fingers and toes, because I'm looking at it right now. Right. 
And as the Green Hulk also. So, yeah, this is a new thing. And it really just looks weird to me. But It does look strange. Like, maybe they figured no one remembers that he has all of his toes. I guess. And it's also just weird that he's just standing there like that. It's a weird splash page. Not Kirby's yeah, and, best work. And, like, I can understand Thor wanting Hulk to put on more clothes. Mm, I guess, <laughs> yeah. We don't know how those shorts are fitting. There could be a lot going on out front there that the art is not necessarily showing us. But at the same time, it can also be like Hulk is just like standing there with his clothes on me. Like, you know, this is this is how you found me. This is how I'm going to be. You can deal with it. Well, they don't know he's really, uh, you know, a hulking rage, mon- rage monster that stems from Bruce Banner. Right. So maybe they assume that he has off time and he just can go to a store or something. That's true. That he's not changing. He is very well spoken here. There's no real reason to, other than his looks, there's no reason to classify him as a monster. Yeah, and he, he's pretty much the same where we left him, which was, you know, he was kind of Bruce Banner, but kind of not. Yeah, yeah, kind of has Bruce Banner's brain, but is, it's a kind of a brutish version of Bruce Banner's brain. Yeah. Um, and like you mentioned the synopsis, we start out in the library of Tony Stark. So right here from their first meeting, we are in Tony's house. Yeah, but this eventually just becomes Avengers Mansion, or do they get a different mansion? I think it does just become a. I think Tony Stark's house just becomes Avengers Mansion. Yeah, which is the which staple. Makes, yeah, makes me wonder how that happened. Like, did the other Avengers have a meeting with Tony Stark, or did Iron Man come and say, "Hey, I've got this friend. He says we can meet in his mm. house." Yeah. No, oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, he'll never be there while we're meeting. But we can meet in his house. Probably just did that because Iron Man and Tony are so associated together now at this point. They're very good friends. And not that not that Thor or Hulk would even question it anyway because they're such barbarians. So what do they care? Right. Giant um, Man is Ant-Man for five seconds. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. They like didn't even say the words Ant-Man in that last issue. And now he's writing it on his ants. Yeah. So he shows him his pills. This is his first. This is his. He was Ant-Man in issue one, right? Of Avengers. So he's giant man for the first time. So there's a roster change for you too, technically just in name only and powers, I guess. But, uh, and I guess having him come in as giant as Ant-Man, if you're just reading the Avengers and you're not reading astonish, it connects uh the two. Yeah. And I guess that's why they explain the pills too. So I was just being kind of snarky about that. But they keep talking about these damn pills. But they, it is a new concept. So, yeah, you're right. If they're only reading Avengers, they need to know about the pills, I guess. Right. You've got to have enough of their original, their individual stories to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love the this meeting. Hulk is like, so now what? And Iron Man's <laughs> like, let's, you know, let's just talk. Yo, y'all gonna, y'all gonna watch that new Fugitive show in a couple weeks? It's starting up. <sighs> Well, what's sad is I wish that was the issue. <laughs> like, what are these kids talking about? <laughs> yeah, because that's how it ends. It It's like, even though there is no task before us, we still meet regularly to get to know each other. And they're all at this table. It's like, and next page is going to be what they're going to talk about. And we don't get to hear it. Nope. So, But Jan well, is very on brand and very adorable. She's like, ah, oh, Thor is so. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that because Thor should be hot and everybody should think he's hot because you know what's the point of being a god if you're not hot right right and maria hill is like you've never been close to those arms <laughs> what was that doctor on uh avengers 2 i can't remember her name but they're like you want to go to the party no is thor gonna be there <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah that was fun all right 
So, Space Phantom. Space Phantom. I've heard of him. I can't think of any particular story I've ever read until this one. Yeah. Um, of course, he feels just like another alien. Like, oh, it's more aliens. Mm-hmm. And it but is. He does, he does kind of have a cool gimmick, and he does get used more later. I did some research on him. Mm-hmm. He is kind of lying to himself here, because he's not actually from space. We no. find out later that the limbo that he sends people to, that's actually where he comes from as well. Okay. Um, and actually, it's not really the Space Phantom. He's just lots of Space Phantoms. Well, he does say that because that's yeah. why that's why he's here. He's just like all the other would-be alien invasions. He's the, like, scout to see if it's worth invading us, I guess. So, like, later when you see Space Phantoms, it's not necessarily him. Right. Um, he's like a scroll. There's just a bunch of them. But we do find out way down the road that all the Space Phantoms are actually servants of Immortus which is another guise of Kang and Ramatut. Uh-huh. So we have our second connection to Ramatut, the Pharaoh for the future right here. I was just thinking he's a lot like a scroll, except for the whole, like he swaps bodies instead of just changing. Oh, you're right. But he also gets their powers, which the scrolls, I don't think the scroll can turn into a Hulk and actually be the Hulk. As far as I know, they had maybe to do- a scroll could manage strength, but not like superpowers. They had to do that whole gimmick thing when they were being fantastic Four. they had to, you know, I can't even remember what they did. They had like fake flame and right. They faked all it up. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, he's kind of cool. He's cool looking, sort of. Um, he's memorable. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting power. The sweat, the swap around, and everything. I wonder what it's like to be in limbo. Like, do they see anything? Are they hanging out with all his other people? Yeah, I don't know. Because whenever they come back, they're like, "What the heck just happened?" Yeah, it's like they like no time has passed for them. Um. So he takes over Hulk. Mm-hmm. And the Hulk and Iron Man decide to start fighting because Hulk's being mean. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think about the Iron Man-Hulk fight in Age of Ultron and how much more over the top that was compared to this very low-key fight. <laughs> yes. And this Iron Man actually has a chance against the Hulk, whereas in the MCU, regular Iron Man versus the Hulk, that ain't happening. Tony's no. going down. No, no. Uh, and I think it's just... Maybe I don't know about with the JLA because I haven't read a lot of classic JLA, so maybe you can tell me that. But uh, I feel like it's a big staple in Avengers that they fight a lot mm-hmm. uh, physically. The, J- the JLA rarely, if ever, fought each other. Although I guess you could say the same thing about the Fantastic Four and the X-Men right now. So maybe that's just a Stan Lee staple that everybody fight all the time. Yeah, the Fantastic Four squabble and the X-Men have their training room. Plus, they also squabble. So... Heroes with problems and heroes fighting each other is definitely a Marvel thing. Yeah. Um. So, okay, page seven. Oh, yeah. Thor walks in and says, stop the fight. Yeah. And Iron Man says, listen, long hair, what gives you the right to butt in that way? And Thor's like, you see this big ass hammer? <laughs> he calls it <laughs> irresistible. Right. Oh, yes, yeah, it is irresistible. You can't resist a Uru. That's what I was going to say. Is that, does that mean tough? Irresistible? I thought it meant like good looking or yeah, something. Yeah, well, you can't stop it. <laughs> you can't resist it? Okay. Yeah. No, I do like though that that Thor is like the guy who could if you're if anybody's going to break up an Iron Man Hulk fight, Thor. It's Thor. Thor's the Superman right now. I I strongly believe and I don't know if this is true because I think they will fight next issue or something, but I feel like in Stan's mind anyway, Thor is more powerful than Hulk at this point. Probably. Like yeah, Hulk- he's the guy. Hulk is not, I mean, Hulk is strong. He's not like as uber strong as he will be later. Right. Um, so Space Phantom Hulk goes out and starts terrorizing the, the outside. And so I was like, help, Hulk is on a rampage. 
It's like the second reference to the Hulk being on a rampage in this issue. And that has not been a thing. Like, now that we've read everything up to this point, mm-hmm. Hulk going on rampages isn't a thing. Yeah, that's true. Except under General Ross's lies, really. But that's about it, yeah. I guess, do you think Ross is, like, spinning bad PR for the Hulk? I'm trying to think. Like, he never really destroyed anything, did he? He didn't. And he was pardoned by the president in issue six. Yeah. And called a hero. I don't know. Maybe it's bad news reports. Well, I mean, he did, like, scare people. Yeah. Because, like, those, remember those issues where Rick Jones could control him, but then when he fell asleep, he'd go do his own thing, and he'd, like, invade parties and steal turkeys and stuff like that. So he was, like, a scary – he wasn't, like, a hero, per se. And yeah. any time he tried to rescue someone from a fire, they thought he was trying to smash the house. And So, yeah, he's always been, like, quote, unquote, a monster. But I can't think of any time where he's actively, like he's doing here, destroying Stark's, you know – Missiles and stuff. Do you think maybe that's like last issue whenever Loki controlled him for a while? Maybe like mm. everyone's like, oh, wait, you know what? The Hulk's really freaking dangerous. Because they blamed him for like trying to destroy the train and stuff that he saved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I guess. I guess it's it's reasonable how you, you could explain how it happens. I mean, he looks like a monster and he lumbers around and he breaks stuff. So, yeah, people are scared. So remember back in uh, Doctor Octopus story, whenever he calls Spider Man Superman, uh huh. Um, at top of page eight, Rick says, "Okay, Hulk, we got to make sure you're able to turn back to Doctor Don Blake when you want to." There it is. I've been trying to find that all day. I knew somebody called somebody something wrong, but I couldn't remember where it was. There yeah. it is. Yep, that's it. Whoops. Do you think that was Rick trying to trick him to see if he was really the Hulk? No, not well, at this point. Because let's headcanon it that way, though, because <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense otherwise. Yeah. yeah, there's no, there's no real reason to think the Hulk is anything weird at that point. But yeah, um, I wonder if they fix that in reprints. Oh, that, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Awkward. Um, okay, so we find out, or Rick Jones finds out about the Space Phantom and the whole limbo thing, mm-hmm. and I. I thought I should point out that Marvel actually does have several limbos, okay. several places they call limbo. Sure. And when I think of limbo, I either think of this limbo or the one that Ilyana Rasputin grew up in. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which is like a hell place. This limbo is like a neither world, and that limbo is like hell. Mm-hmm. There are other limbos, I'm pretty sure, but those are the two main ones that I think of. Yeah, and Limbo really shouldn't be like hell, so that's kind of weird. I never thought about that before. But okay, we'll get there in 20 years. Yeah, yeah, not really, though. <laughs> <laughs> Much more. It'll take us a lot more than 20 years to get through 20 years of comics. That's true. Um, they say that Iron Man is on Tony Stark's payroll. That's never been said before. Uh-huh. Yeah, they keep establishing things in Avengers. Kind of interesting. Which is weird. Yeah. Avengers is supposed to be where all the other characters come together, but this is like making new story for the characters. Yeah, they they Avengers totally transformed Thor into Thor and uh-huh. now and now Iron Man is the cover story is he's on Tony Stark's payroll where before they were always just like close or friends or something. Right, such a good friends that Tony has a huge poster of Iron Man in his corporate office <laughs> lobby. Right, like yeah, sponsor. Yeah, that's my friend Iron Man. He's, like, you know, 50 feet tall in this picture. Like a sponsorship or something. Right. Just do it. Um Interesting fight. I don't know. Like, I like the electricity part and the fact that uh, they did this thing where, like, if it was the real Hulk, he could have taken it. But it's the fake Hulk. So that guy's just a wuss and cried about it. Yeah, that was an interesting way to spin that. Yeah. Um, And I don't know how, you know, then there's this weird bit where he, like, Iron Man transforms his hand into a big mallet. That kind of seemed weird. 
But that's what he does these days, is he just pulls things off his belt that weren't there before. Yeah, it's almost like he's adding on attachments. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Giant-Man is so much more annoying than Ant-Man, I'm finding. You like, think so? Like, what is his deal? Like, not only is he growing in size, but he's growing in ego or something. Right. Because, like, his first issue is Giant-Man. He just went around flexing while Jan, while Jan did all the work. And then now there's this whole team brigade calling Giant-Man and the Wasp. And he's all like... Oh, they call it Giant Man, not Ant Man. That means I should actually pay attention to this. It must be important. Right. Like, wow, because as Ant Man, you weren't important? What's the matter with you? You were cool before, too. Stop it. Which kind of feeds into the my thoughts on the uh, Giant Man story we're going to talk about next. Because, like, yeah, there's that, more of it. Th- the plot basis of the next comic is very similar to the plot basis of old Ant Man stories, but Giant Man's too good for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. This is um, weird. I also thought it was kind of funny that, like, we never we didn't see the end of the Avengers meeting. Like, the Hulk left, and we followed the Hulk. And evidently, they called it quits because, like, Tony Stark's chillaxing at home, chill, uh, plugging in his cord. When we see Hen- Henry and Jan, they're back in the um, the lab of the astonishing Henry Pym. Mm-hmm. So they just, they just, and Don Blake is in his doctor's office. Yeah, I don't know how much time passed or uh, whether once the Hulk goes through the wall, that's like the end of the meeting. Like, you know, what else are you going to say, I guess? I guess they could have had a meeting about whether they want to keep the Hulk. Oh, that would have been an interesting meeting. But they didn't. They all just went home. I mean, Iron Man, if you have to charge, you have to charge. So that kind of makes sense. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. So Iron Man attaches his big hammer and goes after the Hulk and Giant Man tries to break up the fight. Take it easy, little fella. Don't do anything you'll regret in the morning. And Iron Man says, Giant Man, let go, you oversized clown. Hulk has had this coming for a long time. Yeah. And I'm like, what long time? (laughs) And that's why the Hulk quit. Why do you hate the Hulk? You weren't even Iron Man whenever Hulk had his six issues. Do you think, like, maybe they never wanted the Hulk to join? He sort of just invited himself? They did. At the end of Avengers, they're all like, let's form a team and everything. And then Hulk's like, well, I don't like people, but yeah, okay. And then they probably (laughs) were all thinking, oh, crap. (laughs) So it's like like, um, Iron Man and Thor and Ant-Man are sort of all making like looking at each other in a triangle. And Hulk is just (laughs) outside the triangle. And he like says, okay, fine. And they like look over at him. Yeah, they're like, oh, you're still here? I thought you were just going to leap off and go disappear like you always do. Darn. Okay, yeah. Okay, fine. Here's the mansion address. Can you can you read? Okay. Maybe he won't make bad, it. I feel bad for not mentioning Jan in the little circle of Avengers just a second ago, but yeah, she's there too. And yeah. It's that whole like, you know, socially awkward thing where the person that isn't really invited mm-hmm. thinks they're invited. Anyways, yeah. Well, I mean, we're looking at this in hindsight, so we just knew it was gonna happen, but do you really think like there was any longevity for the Hulk to be on a team? I don't know. At least this he, Hulk, you know, like he's on the defenders. Yeah, but that that team by its existence is like a like a team of people who aren't supposed to be on a team, right? Submariner, Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, yeah. those are all loners. So they get together to say to solve the universe, and then they can't sustain it. I feel like that's a little bit of a conceit just to make the book feel different. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's still a team, and Hulk's on it. And Hulk yeah, is, but they don't have meetings and rosters 
announcements and things like that. They just yeah. show up when the cosmic. No, the the Avengers. Oh my gosh! As these early issues, of the Avengers play out. Uh-huh. They are so full of themselves. Oh, it's They've it's amazing. A, I love it. A, a book of rules and bylaws. And oh yeah, and you know which ones the honorary members and which ones are the real members and which ones are the founders and which ones are the retroactive <laughs> founders. Oh, I just eat that stuff up. I love it so much. And okay, anybody who okay. wants to make a list of that kind of thing is just super exciting. Like the defenders, how boring. It's like all oh, the moons align so they get together, yawn. Like this is we need a book. We need a manual. We need a quality policy. How do we do our taxes? This is fun. That's that's funny. <laughs> um Okay, so we see Ant-Man's cutaway diagram of the wafer-thin cybernetic helmet. We didn't get this in Astonish 49, I don't think. Nope, this is another new thing that Avengers is I don't know if it's so, just a plot device that we'll never see again, but I sure hope not, because it's kind of neat. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this is a thing that I've seen. So does he still basically have his Ant-Man helmet? It's just in a different form. It says, new, ama- new amazing cybernetic helmet picks up the impassioned impulses of the wasp's frantic battle. Now, is he picking up the wasp or the wasp? And is that why he has antenna? Because that's that makes sense, I guess. That does make sense. And she still has her helmet, you know. See, when I first read it, I thought it was specifically tuned to her so he could always find her, which kind of makes sense because sometimes she's small and if she gets unconscious or something, how is he going to find her, right? But now you, you've you remade me think that it's a, it's just like his old thing where he can pick up insect battles or something. Right. I don't know. I don't know. But um, there was the page where it says, for the thrilling origin of giant man, see Tales to Astonish 49, which is neat because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the one indication of what, like, when I had the Avengers Masterworks, I read these 10 issues, and I didn't know what was going on in Giant Man's story. But, hey, I, I know that in his own book, Ant-Man has become Giant Man. Yeah. And, like, it references that. Like, the whole feeling of editor's notes joining the issues together into a universe was neat. Correct. I agree. They don't do that anymore. And they're fighting, and Jan is in the fight. But uh. then the Wasp. Uh, like the Phantom Space Phantom Wasp chases the Wasp, and suddenly Giant Man's like, "Oh no, she's all the way over in Anthony Stark's factory." Mm-hmm. And like, she was in your fight on the previous page. She got really far really fast. Well, I thought the Hulk was sabotaging the factory, so aren't they all just kind of in the front lawn there? It's sort of weird because it doesn't really show the factory. And he says it- it's across the highway. Okay. So the Hulk showed up at the factory, broke all the missiles. Iron Man shows up. They fight in the factory. And then they end up like on the front lawn or across the highway. And then they go back to the factory. So I don't know. He's 12 feet tall. Maybe that's three steps for him. I don't know. That's true. He's Um, giant man. It's a funny panel, though, because it's just like, let's get out of here. Jan. And Uh, there's a fun fight with the Avengers. Yeah, it's just a cool fight because, like I said, there's like, like all three of them in every other panel, like he changes to a different one. So they never know which guy's the Phantom and which guy is not. Uh, so in that sense, it's kind of dramatic and interesting. And um, when the Wasp goes to get Thor, mm-hmm. like you said in your synopsis, this is what literally happens. <laughs> she goes to Don Blake. She does not grow. She no. grabs a pencil and writes on a paper Wasp size Travel that Stark factory, need Thor. And uh, so he says, okay, wait outside. I'll send for Thor. She flies out. Shazam! Okay, come back inside. Who's looking for Thor? (laughs) Well, it's awfully consistent to the Thor comic. 
You are so correct on that. Because, like, he's just about as flimsy with his secret identity there, too. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea. I like thinking of the panel where we see her outside waiting and, like, there's this big thunderous loud noise from behind the door and, like, maybe some smoke that flies from underneath, you know, underneath the door and stuff. (laughs) And then she opens it and it's Thor. Oh, your secret is so safe. She thinks you know, that she thinks that Don Blake is dreamy too. By the way, she does. Yeah. I would, oh yeah, he'd be a real dreamy if he was a little huskier. Yeah, yeah, he's cute in the face. So you know that scene in the first Avengers film when um, oh, Coulson has the Black Widow on the phone and she's fighting. He's just like standing uh-huh. there waiting for the fight to end. Yeah, I sort of imagine that like Wasp is just kind of chilling. Yeah, she hears the big lightning bolt behind her, but doesn't react. She's just like you know waiting for Thor to show up. Uh huh. And it's like. Hello. And she's like, oh, okay, now I can go back in. I personally feel Anyways. like every superhero at some point becomes best friends with their alter ego as a plot device to make it easy. Like, oh, Clark, you know Superman, right? Can you get a hold of him for me? Or Peter, don't you know how to contact Spider-Man? And that's all really bad ideas that they should never do, but they always do. So in this case, Thor at some point told the Avengers, if you ever need me, call this guy Donald Blake. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Now, who's fooled by that? Nobody, but everybody, of course. Yeah, everybody. Well, okay, it's funny because when way, way, way down the road, we find out that at some point, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Iron Man and Thor figured out each other's identities. Mm-hmm. And they just like admit to it one day that they know who each other is and they've, they've known for a while. So you could, you could say it happened all the way back here. That, like, the, neither one of them was fooled for a second by the other one. Yeah. Oh, we're at your friend Tony Stark's mansion? That's cool. Yeah. Uh, glad you glad you roped that together for us, Mr. Iron Man. I was reading. There was a website that was, like, every time the Avengers figured out each other's identities. And I'm kind of shocked at how long it takes. It takes a long time. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing with, with JLA. Is like, I was reading JLA waiting for the them to find out each other's identities. And, like, it didn't happen and didn't happen and didn't happen. It pretended to happen. One issue was undone by the end. And then all of a sudden, it's, like, a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Like, they just know each other's identities now. Oh, And there was never a, cause a Batman. moment. Batman knows everybody. So well, what's the yeah. point? <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think it was Batman. I think it was, I think it was just, like, they, they, they know each other now. I don't know. It was weird. It was, like, it never really had a moment. Um, Thor uses thou. Oh, cool. Finally. Top of page 21. To Iron Man, not so, thou braggart. Earth is under my protection. This I have pledged with my life. And it's not to Odin. He's not talking to his dad. He's using these and thous. He's starting to talk like Thor. Great. He's been talking like Thor, but he hasn't been saying thee and thou. So now it's official. Now he's full on. He is Thor. And and how much fun is this? Just from a fanboy perspective, I really like that Wasp went and got Thor to break up the fight. I mean, that's just cool. That's cool. That's like, you know, oh, the JLA is fighting. Someone gets Superman. You know, like he's the guy who's going to come in and, and spank all the children because he's Thor. <laughs> I also like that the wasp like goes into the circuitry and like messes up Iron Man. I mean, oh, yeah, that was cool. The space phantom is really overdoing the details on his copying here. He is Iron Man all the way down to the guy in a suit with circuitry. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? I guess. But and she's uh, messing up his circuitry. So... It's like, is she pulling apart his blood vessels? Is that what's really going on here? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't, um, I don't know that I like that Thor can make Iron Man rust with rain either, except for the fact that Iron Man is a space phantom. So whatever. I'm glad that he, he lost, but. 
Like I like iron- to think that maybe he also used his lightning to sort of speed up the oxidation process. Okay. Well, I hope that Tony Stark sees that on video or something and figures out a way to have anti-rain stuff on his armor in the future. Right. The red paint will do that. Yeah, there you go. Thor also slams his hammer to make a storm, and we are not told how many times he pounds his hammer. Good. He just pounds his hammer and makes a storm because he's Thor. Yeah. And he looks cool doing it. He does. Uh, and I like that, you know, it almost seems like he's certain that the Space Phantom's stupid power won't work on him because he's a god. Um, I mean, he's right. But uh, I don't know how he knew that. But at the same time, maybe because he's fought Space Phantoms before. Maybe maybe he didn't know it. Uh. Maybe the Space Phantom's power backfires and he's like, your power only affects humans. Yeah. I'm the god of thunder. Well, I'm just saying it seems like he knows. But yeah, you're right. I guess we don't know how he actually said that line. <laughs> it does kind of beg the question, though, of how the Space Phantom got out of limbo in the first place. It was probably Immortus, but like if he has to trade places with someone to get in or out of limbo... Then how did he get out of limbo? Well, and also there's this thing now Stan's doing like if your power, if you go up against something that is immune to your power, the power hits you back. Right. Boomerangs. Like, like Molecule Man. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. You tried to do affect humans. So now it hits you back. Or Sandu. You tried to do your power on an enchanted hammer. So it hits you back. And now this guy. It's like that may not be how it should work, but oh well. Goodbye, Hulk. Yeah. And Hulk is gone. And do you think it was true? I mean, do you agree with him that they... Oh, yeah. I think Hulk is totally justified. They were okay. terrible to him. Yeah, they were. Right, like The splash page has Thor like criticizing his outfit. Come on. That's not cool. Yeah. From page one, Thor especially. Iron Man also bad. Giant Man wasn't doing it to his face, but he did say stuff about Hulk. Now, do you want to like headcanon um, Thor's reaction to Hulk and just say that he's used to trolls being evil? trolls and giants and things that look like hulk i mean that works for me yeah we could just say that in fact i i I know that in the avengers assemble cartoon he calls hulk a troll yeah on several occasions yeah i mean that's just the world he comes from that those kind of things need to be beaten back so Mm -hmm. he's a little bigot a little bigoted okay well i guess that's our second avengers issue so which was better avengers 2 or x-men 2 um i Okay, my before we started talking about it, I was thinking, you know, Avengers 2 and X-Men 2 just both kind of you know, stink better than the first issue. But going through Avengers 2, I actually like it a lot more than uh, X-Men 2. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, uh, think, it, I think it was fun, the whole, like, they don't know who they're fighting kind of thing. That was fun. Uh-huh. I think it's easy to see why Avengers is going to go monthly long before X-Men does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, X-Men seems like Fantastic Four light right now, kind of. Yeah, yeah. All right. Giant Man's next, yeah? Tales to Astonish. Number 50, the big 5-0. Wow. Yeah. So he's... um. But not 50 Giant Man stories. No, no. Only two Giant Man stories, actually, right? Yeah. This is the second Giant Man. Giant Man, the Wonderful Wasp Battle, the unbeatable human top. Well, you spoiled the story. Oh, because it's unbeatable. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how did I do that? Okay, so um, the top is this dude who dresses in green and has like an upside down top for a head. So like his head comes to a point as if he were spinning around on it. And basically what you've got here is you've got this guy 
um, who I think his name is Dave. Not that Dave. Davey, yeah. Dave or Davey. I don't know. Dave Cannon. uh, Dave Cannon. He's evidently a mutant because he grew up with the ability to spin around at high speeds and not get dizzy. And he would use this to, like, bully people. Like, give me your milk money or I will spin you around. Um, And he did this until he became a grown-up. He's like, I will use my spinning power to go really fast and take stuff from people and no one will ever catch me because I'm so fast and spinny. Um, He would occasionally use it um, to commit crimes and then he was working for people and then he was like, I don't have to work for other people. I could do this alone. And so he starts calling himself the human top and he starts going on a, a crime spree. So Henry Pym hears that they're calling for his help. And he's like, this guy's just a chief crook. What's giant man going to mess with him for? It's not worth his time. And so Janet's like, dude, we've got to, we've got to stop this guy. So, um, she goes over to his apartment and, um, they're talking about how he has these pills. He can grow so tall now. And the ants send some messages with cute little pictures about how this department store is getting robbed. And so he's like, okay, let's go stop the robbery. So meanwhile, Dave has made a costume for himself with like the green sort of plant looking costume. And he's going to go rob the department store. Giant man's waiting for him. Giant man gets all big and tries to go after the human top. Human top is mega fast. And giant man turns out not used to being so big. And he tries to like frogger across the highway. And the human top is, like, better at Frogger than Giant Man is. Giant Man, like, gets squashed by so many cars. Um, Not squashed, but he gets, you know, he gets in the traffic and in the way. Um, So, what else? Basically, Giant Man sucks at catching the human top. Human top gets away. Giant Man and and Wasp end up getting caught in a subway tunnel because Giant Man is too big for the staircase. So he turns himself into normal size and loses the human top. He's like, man, we suck. And Wasp's like, no, you suck. <laughs> I'm awesome. You didn't even ask You didn't even ask me what the plan was or tell me what the plan was. You just went and did it and expected me along for the ride. So if anyone sucks, Henry Pym, you suck. He's like, fine, I suck. So um, he goes back to his lab and decides to rig up some... Um, devices to help him practice his speed and he takes some drugs to help him get faster and um, he almost barely maybe manages to capture his device thing that he's training with but he like loses hold of it and he's like I I almost got it I'm almost good enough I'll keep on training and Wasp was like in her head man that thing was set at half speed The, the giant man is never gonna get this down he will always be a terrible superhero now that he's too big and clumsy. And meanwhile, um, Human Top is going to um, do something bad with some dynamite. And you were told at the beginning of this issue that it was a double length story. We get to page 13 like normal. And it's like, ha ha ha. It is double length. And the double part is in next issue. So there you go. Cliffhanger ending. The first straight out full on cliffhanger ending of the Marvel Universe. We are in the big time now. Something like that. That surprised me when I was reading this. Like, that's it? It's over? Right? No conclusion? Not used to that anymore. Kind of exciting. And um, 
and yeah, the I think these these half half length stories are going to become more serial and more uh, you know cliffhangery before the full length issues do. I'm down with that. I think that's cool. Um, yeah. So, like we were saying, Giant Man's is 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 got a big body and a big ego now, and this issue in particular just like really sells that. Uh huh. I don't know if they were doing it on purpose in his in the issue prior to this or Avengers two, but I noticed it then too. Like it just seemed like, wow, he's really full of himself now that he can get all big and super strong and stuff. Um, but maybe maybe that was their intention the entire time, and they wanted to bring him to a halt. Kind of like Dr. Octopus slapping Peter Parker in the face, throwing him out the window. Like, that's how successful he was at beating the top here. Like, he even splats into signs and falls through his fences and just is embarrassing, really. And I remember some scenes from Avengers where he's kind of blundery, too. Like, there's this picture in my head of him uh, riding the back of a train and, like, colliding with with the tunnel when the train goes through a tunnel. Very Mm cartoon-like. So, I, I feel like he does kind of get clumsy for a while before he figures out how to giant man. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, he just thinks he's so much better now than he was. He does think he's better and he's just not. He's not. Uh, I like, I like ahead. the hype page one giant man has taken comic fandom by storm. Yeah. The previous issue has not hit stands yet when you're writing this issue. So you're making up crap stand. <laughs> That's why I can't really buy into everything they tell us like a lot of times they talk about how the letter pages demanded this or that and it's like did they did they really we don't know you don't know what they really thought we don't know what they're editing what they're letting get through we need to find somebody who is actually around i guess so i've been doing the image comics podcast mm-hmm. and in the savage dragon they present the idea that most people who have superpowers most mutants tend to use their powers for their own wishes and their own desires, which means criminal lifestyles. Right. That the idea that Savage Dragon has powers and is being a cop with them, they're like, dude, what are you doing? You're a mutant like us. Right. Um, so Marvel doesn't do that, though. So the idea that Dave Cannon is a mutant and he's using his power to bully others is, like, unusual here. Yeah. I. It's also unusual that they give him this whole backstory. You know, um, yeah, there's like three pages of like his childhood and stuff, which I, I liked. Mark um, mutants in general are kind of unusual. And I'm surprised that we're seeing them in other places besides just the X-Men. But I also not surprised because it makes me think like Stan must be happy as heck now that he can just give someone a power without figuring out why. Right. To be fair, I don't think they use the word mutant in this issue, but I did no. look up some stuff about the human top and he is considered a mutant. Well, it says he was. Just able to do it. Right. And there was another issue we we uh, weren't we reading that was outside of X-Men where the guy was essentially just a mutant. And I can't remember I now. think it, there was an issue that predated Marvel that was like about some other character. Oh, Merlin. Mutant. Merlin, the fake Merlin, was just like born with these powers. Yeah. And that came right around X-Men number one. I think either right before right. or right after. So, yeah, we're just getting mutants outside of X-Men, which is kind of surprising to me. But, like, again, like I said, that's just easier for Stan, right? I got this idea for a human top. Well, how is he a human top? Uh, he just is. Okay. Born that way. Born that way. Yeah. So. And, he, and he, like, <laughs> they go into this whole thing where he's, like, a figure skater who, like, uh, you know, throws the race or whatever. Or hustles. Um, like, the color of money. Like, pretends he sucks and then he doesn't suck and, and makes money and... But then he doesn't really do the figure skating thing again after that. But still, it's all interesting backstory stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like how Henry calls Jan and says, hey, just let you know, we have a briefing session. And she's like, just letting me know, I've been getting fixed up all day to come and see you. Yeah. boy, Boyfriend that I love. Yeah. So the Star Bulletin, the newspaper, that's not the Daily Bugle, says human topped, named as public enemy number one by the authorities. So this guy has powers and he is the number one most wanted criminal. And he's below Giant Man's pay grade. That's, yeah. And he's been doing this for a while. We see like 1959, 60, 61, 62. This is a four-year-long crime career. But like since when does Hank Pym not read something like that and want to stop it? You know what I mean? Since Giant Man. That's it. Since becoming Giant Man. If he was Ant-Man right now, he'd be all over that. So Because he's got to prove himself. I guess. Um, the Wasp says, he may go for all that adventure jazz, but I go for big, wonderful, dreamy him. And I believe that's how she's feeling like today. Mm-hmm. I guess she's getting ready to see him. But she has definitely enjoyed the adventures in the past. And her love for superheroing was one of her like endearing traits in early issues. Yeah, I just wrote that off as something she was thinking about. Like She's definitely um, exhibited the love of beating up a good bad guy. So Right. I like this whole bit with the elevator, like, whoops, I forgot to shrink. And he's just like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> That's fun. When is she going to get, like, a microphone or something? Both of them. And there's, when they're small, they can't be heard. Yeah. That's why they got That's why they got big in the beginning of Avengers 2 was because You're they are right. Yeah, yeah. I thought, for some reason, I thought Iron Man's helmet make, magnified his voice, but I guess not. Um, yeah, because Reed had to make that whole, like, put a cup over him with a microphone on it or something. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's really obnoxious then because, like, her power is to be small. So how can she, like, communicate in battle if no one can hear her? She better come up with something. She, uh, yeah. Yeah, if she's going to be on the Avengers as the Wasp, she's going to need to be able to communicate. I mean, she and Ant-Man have comms. So that's how they communicate with each other. Uh-huh. I assume they have comms. I mean, you, meant, you mentioned earlier that maybe her cybernetic helmet is picking up Janet. Well, but she says right here on page four, darn, I just remembered he can hardly hear me when I'm wasp size. So, like, now that they don't fight together at the same size, maybe that's going to be a problem, too. Like, they can't even communicate. That is a problem. Mm -hmm. You'll have to talk louder, Shorty, he says on the last panel of that same page. Yeah, they need to solve that issue. They do. That's that's silliness. Okay. So, I'm sorry. Um, The human top got a costume, Mm -hmm. and he looks like the human turnip. (laughs) And why is green the color of evil in the Marvel Universe? I don't know. We've got the top. He looks like Plant Man. Top. He's green. He is the the wavy lines look like yeah. leaves and stalks, and he has a turnip on his head. Yeah, and Molecule Man looked like the Plant Man, and the Plant Man looked like the Plant mm-hmm. Man. Actually, the Plant Man did not look like the Plant Man. He did. He it? had a hat, but he he wasn't green. Also, I mean that makes he sense. He was for green. Him. He had a wide. Bri- I just didn't look very planty. Cobra's green. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They. I know that this guy eventually becomes Whirlwind, right? Right. And then he has like more of an armory outfit with blades on his uh, wrists. And then he becomes way cooler looking. But this issue, not so much. So, yeah, this is where uh, Giant Man becomes a giant klutz. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like that the Wasp has been heard of now. People know who he is, who she is. Yeah. Um, and then Janet is right that Henry didn't include her whatsoever. He's getting above his partner now. Yes. And she's not too happy. Yes. And he's he's coming to realize that maybe being giant 
doesn't solve everything because you can't just walk out in traffic and not get hit by a car. Right. Uh, or go into small spaces when the bad guy goes down into the subway. But I think that's about all I have for this issue. Yeah. I mean, other than, oh, well, I mean, he's got his own danger room and he's doing the same thing the X-Men do. Like, let's see how fast we can get so we could try and catch the Vanisher or the Human Top. Uh, yeah. Uh, more training. They mentioned Reed Richards, so that's a little uh, more crossover. Oh, what does it say about Reed? It says, what are you trying to be, Mr. Fantastic now? Because he creates like this. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. He creates the gyro that he's going to use to train with. And she's like, you've been reading too many adventures of Mr. Fantastic. Which, you know, in the future doesn't matter when they mention each other. But right now, you know, crossovers are pretty rare. I no, it, I actually, I like the idea that Henry Pym reads Fantastic Four comics. Yeah, that's kind of funny. That makes me happy. Whether he does or not. But I could see him doing that. So next issue is going to be Giant Man's showdown with the human top to resolve all this story and see if see if Giant Man can figure out how to control his powers. And even though Jan thinks he's being a jerk, she still loves him too much to tell him that like he's not even nearly as good as he thinks he is. <laughs> it's kind of a heartbreaking ending, actually. But yeah, yeah, it is. But that brings us into Spider Man. Oh my gosh! And guess who gets Spider Man this week? I did not rig this. This is the way things fell no, out. No, I do. Wait, did you just summarize I did the Thor. last? No. Oh, Thor was last episode. Yeah, I did Avengers. You just did this one right now. We just talked about Giant Man. Oh, you're right. So you get to, do, get to Spider-Man. do Spider-Man. But guess what? <sighs> guess what, everybody? It's the Vulture. He's finding the Vulture. So yippee for me. But it's better than last issue. Uh, it's definitely a better Vulture than last Vulture, too. But uh, yes, we'll get into that. Okay. So let me do my uh, the shenanigans I like to do first. So this is Amazing Spider-Man. Number seven, cover dated December 1963. Now we're in another week, right? September 10th? September 10th, we're starting a new week. It's called The Return of the Vulture, written by Stanley, art by Steve Ditko, letterer Artie Semek. And it starts with like a flashback of what happened last time. Spider-Man defeated the Vulture with his anti-flying device. Then we cut to like Lex Luthor and Otis in prison. I mean, the Vulture in prison. And he's being a model citizen because he wants access to, like, the equipment room or something like that. And they, of course, give it to him because all wards, all wardens are, like, super dumb in comic books, I guess. Sure, Joker, go ahead. Have access to the chemical lab. What could happen? Um, so what happens is he creates a very, like, rudimentary flying device out of the prison, uh, you know, stuff that they got lying around. And that combined with, like, he makes, like, his prison garb. I don't know. He gets like an extra size shirt or something so that it kind of has like a little bit of wingage on it. And he pretty much just goes outside and says, bye. We deuces and flies away. And, it's, and again, it's not, he's not the vulture, but it was enough to get him out of prison. And then he goes uh, and creates a better suit, like the, a better suit than he had the first time, he says. Um, and he does some stuff. I think he robs something or something like that. Oh, yeah. He, he's out flying and he decides, well, while I'm at it, I might as well rob something. So he robs something at gunpoint. And this, of course, gets to Peter because Peter is like at school and there's all these kids at school that are always listening to their radios by their ear and news broadcasts are being, you know, broadcast. So he overhears that the vulture escaped. So he goes after him and he's super cocky about it because he learned nothing from Fighting Dr. Octopus. He's like, this guy, I have the anti-gravity device still. So I load that up. I'm going to go find him. And he finds him. And the vulture's thinking the whole time, I bet he thinks he can beat me with the anti-gravity device. But I 
put in this suit an anti-anti-gravity device. So ha on him. So I'm gonna <laughs> so I'm gonna go and get close to him. And he's gonna let me get close to him because he thinks he's gonna beat me. Um, and he's right. Spider-Man needs him to get close so his machine will work because there's only a certain a limited range. The vulture gets close. He presses it like publicly. You can see him press it. The vulture sees him press it, and the vulture goes, "Oh no." You got me again. Ah. And like pretends to fall. And as Spider-Man like leaps down uh, various buildings and balconies to try and see if the vulture went splat. As he leans over to look, the vulture flips back around, flies up at full speed and hits him double fisted with all the power of an elderly 80 year old man. And it (laughs) knocks Spider-Man backwards. And he twists and he falls and the whole public sees it and they all think Spider-Man's pretty much just dead. They don't really – they can't see where he lands. But what happens is Spider-Man kind of twists and contorts because he's Spider-Man. And he, instead of landing on his head and cracking it open, he lands on his arm and sprains it really bad. So he hobbles home and the vulture goes back to his home, patting himself on the back. He defeated Spider-Man. Um, there's some shenanigans with like – Aunt May almost discovering his identity because he's back at home, like nursing his his arm, and she walks in on the room. And I think for the first time, he does that thing where he jumps up onto the ceiling and hopes that nobody looks up, which is a Spider-Man staple. Um, she takes him to the doctor. He lies and says that he got hurt playing volleyball. Everyone at school makes fun of him because it's really funny to be injured. You're super nerd if you're injured. Um, then he goes to. The paper, because he at least got some pictures of the vulture, and he tries to make some money, but J. Jonah James is not really having it because everybody's got a picture of the vulture, yada, yada, yada. But as they're talking about it, the vulture attacks the Daily Bugle because he figures it's Friday and there's like a payroll bank there or something. I guess everybody pays in cash back in 1963. Um, and J. Jonah Jameson and the vulture are kind of fighting it out because J.J. doesn't really want to give him all the money because that would ruin him and ruin the paper, I guess. And so while they're fighting, Peter Parker sort of backpedals and goes into a closet and becomes Spider-Man. He webs up his his broken arm or his sprained arm, and then he tries to fight the Vulture one-handed. Um, and they pretty much thrash the Daily Bugle doing it. And then eventually they take it outside, and Spider-Man notes that the Vulture is going to try and like grab him. And Spider-Man's like, "Well, you know what? I'll just let him." So he lets him grab it, and then the vulture flies him straight up in the air and says, I'll just keep flying you higher and higher and higher. Eventually, you'll die because I'm an 80-year-old man, and I can take it better than you can. And Spider-Man's like, yeah, yeah, okay. but um, And then he basically just webs up his wings together so that he can't fly anymore. <laughs> and he starts crashing, and the vulture panics, and Spider-Man creates like a parachute and attaches the vulture to the parachute, lets him drop to the street where he's promptly arrested, I assume. And... Spider-Man lands on the uh, the Daily Bugle, and while he's there, J. Jonah Jameson pops out and says, and Spider-Man's like, you can thank me now for saving your life, and J. Jonah Jameson's like, thank you, you trashed my place, yada, 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 and so, like, so uh, Spider-Man decides the best thing for it is to just mouth it, or web his mouth shut, so he does that, and then he turns back to Peter Parker, and he finds Betty Brant in the trashed office hiding under the desk, so he's like, hey, mind if I join you? She's like, no problem. And so they pretty much just sit there like um, canoodling basically while J. Jonah Jameson runs around the office unable to talk. And it ends on a like super romantic note of her like laying her head on his shoulder and and then just like them cuddling. The end. Yeah, he's pretty smooth with her at the end there. 
That was super cool. Yeah. I like that yeah. ending. That was a good ending. It actually reminds me of a shout out I need to give. Okay. Um, over at the Swinging Through Spider-Man podcast, which mm-hmm. is at Spidey Podcast on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, two British guys, James and Brad. And they're going through the Spider-Man comics for the first time because their only Spidey knowledge comes from like loving the films and maybe some of the cartoons. Anyways, mm-hmm. so after we cover an issue here, I go to listen to their episode coverage of the same issue because I don't want what they say to influence what I'm going to say. So I was wait. Yeah. So I listened to their coverage of the lizard issue recently. And at the end of that issue, a tiny plot detail that we just glossed over and didn't even mention is that um, Peter almost calls Betty for a date. He's like, I think I'll call Betty and see what she's up to. Oh, wait, no, she's working for Jameson late tonight. So I'll call Liz instead. We talked about calling Liz. We didn't talk about how he almost called Betty. Are you sure? So he was going to. Yeah. He was going to call Betty for a date at the end of last issue. I, and also at the at the beginning of this, she's like, hey, Betty, I have something to ask you. And he doesn't get a chance to ask her. I think we and totally then, talked about it. Did we? I'm pretty sure. But I'm okay. not sure. So now, I, now anyway, I want to find out. Now in this one. Yeah, because I thought we talked about how it kind of they keep building it up, but they don't actually do anything yet, which is kind of neat. Like it's been about three or four issues where first she's just there and then he notices she's pretty. And then he thinks about maybe – there's something there. And maybe yeah, we, we talked about that in the the in the early part of the story. Whenever he like has, says, "Hey, Betty, I want to want to ask you," and then he and then he doesn't get to ask her. Mm. Oh, okay, that's what I'm thinking. But of. I don't think at the very end, whenever he like almost calls her for a date, he oh. didn't actually mention that. Okay, maybe which not. I think is kind of an important stage along the process. Yeah, and here he's like, "Hey, you know what? We're sitting here hiding together, and you're pretty, and I'm male, and that's you know, mm-hmm. that's romance." It's a great scene. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking is like Betty is not from his school. So he gets to be a more Peter Parker that he wants to be with her mm-hmm. than he can be at school. Because at school they know they know pre-Spider-Man Peter Parker. And he kind of has to keep living that life. Right. He's stuck in that reputation. And he, he actually even complains about it in this issue. Like he's getting tired of the secret identity and the changing clothes all the time and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like some of the monotony of being an awesome superhero is kicking in by issue seven. Right. So it's kind of neat. If you think about it, like maybe Betty, he doesn't have to be super nerdy Peter Parker because she doesn't know him as that. She's never met him before. And he could be a little more confident because he knows deep down inside he can bench tank. So you mentioned that the stuff at the beginning was very DC supervillain, Lex Luthor Joker, that kind of thing. And then I feel like there's more Superman tropes, like on the stuff with the volleyball or the medicine ball or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like it's... The same sort of thing Clark would have to do. Mm-hmm. I hear there's a problem. I'm going to duck out and turn into Superman. But like Clark is choosing to be a nebbish and choosing to let people pick on him when he doesn't have to do that. Uh-huh. And this is like Peter actually is a nerd. Peter actually is picked on. And yeah, he could let loose with his strength, but like that would hurt people. Right. It's more of a I can't hurt them than it is a I can't let them know that I'm Spider-Man. It's also a little different in that he didn't develop the Peter Parker identity from ground up as, right. as a superpowered person. Like he was Peter who was picked on and couldn't do anything about it for the long time for 16 years or whatever. And now that he can do something about it, he can't out himself. Whereas Superman, it's like, what kind of human do I want to be? I could be anything. I could be the most confident, awesome lawyer in the world if I wanted to be. 
but I'm going to choose to be like a guy who's picked on so that I remember why I stand up for the little people, I guess is his motive. Maybe. Or something like that. It's very strange. I guess, yeah. When you compare the two, like, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it comes off, it comes off like an odd choice for Clark. But um, Peter does walk away saying sooner or later someone's going to get a mouthful of teeth or lose a mouthful of teeth. Mm-hmm. And that is a setup for next issue. Is it? Okay. I, I, knew, I figured a punch was coming because this is not the first time he's thought about it. No, a punch is definitely coming. Um, yeah, it's like kind of like. I love the technical drawings that we get of like the web shooters. Uh-huh. And we've seen like stuff with Spider-Man's mask and how it works. And it, it, it got me thinking that like there's a lot of thought put into the detail of how Spider-Man's costume works mm-hmm. that maybe we don't really have that from anybody else. You mean in, in our other issues? That just, in our other issues are just kind of like in superhero dumb at, at large. I mean, they've got his belt and his wrist well, and his eyepieces. I feel like they've done like, and I don't know when they start doing this, but like they do detail pictures of like what the bat cave or or the fortress of solitude look like or batman's belt okay so this is kind of like just a parallel of that but i don't know if this was first or not i couldn't tell you if that happened in the golden age or if that's all silver age stuff or well as far as dc's concerned 1963 is kind of pretty well into the silver age right like dc has been silver aging since 5960 and the height of dc's silver age sort of tapers off around 65 so we are nearing the end of the good Silver Age stuff, for, as far as Superman goes, at least. Well, I mean, like, DC. the first three years of Batman, the only schematic was, like, here's the barn. Here's the pathway underneath the barn to his mansion. Like, that was it. So that's... That, here's his red car. That's not a lot of thought. But I know at some point they do detailed drawings of how the Batcave works, where all the planes go, where the Batman Batmobile goes, where the costumes are, the T-Rex. Right. That's definitely a Silver Age thing. Yeah. But I like when they do that. I don't know if they do that kind of stuff anymore. I don't know that like the flashy artists these days would even want to sit down and draft what the Fortress of Solitude looks like, you know, right on every level. But it's it's cool little details. So Spider-Man waits for 20 minutes to see if anybody's, you know, make sure no mm-hmm. one's there. To, to I guess MJ's not home today. <laughs> or she's not a threat. Because she already knows that he's Spider-Man. Yeah, see, here it is again. There, this is the early days, and we're defining what the spider sense does. So this is a new thing because we debated a, a lot about how the spider sense worked with uh, the tinkerer and mm-hmm. that radio and the and the bug and all that stuff. Like, what was he really sensing there? Um, so yeah, now they're starting to get into this idea that like he just has a general sense of like danger about secret identity, which isn't really a physical threat. No, but like, I wonder if, like, if he starts to go out to the window, if his spider sense starts to tingle. But then wouldn't that be really annoying that, like, you're thinking about going outside and the fact that people are out there and could see you? So your spider sense kicks in? Yeah, how did that even work? Like, you're at home. If you're dressed normal and you go to the window, your spider sense wouldn't go off. So it's like, okay, I got to put on my suit. And it's then a really subjective thing. And then think about going towards the window. And if it goes off, I have to sit back down in my suit and wait a little while. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Anyway. Yeah. Um, we get to the fight with the vulture. Mm-hmm. And I love the fake out. That yeah. The vulture just like goes along with it. Yeah. And he's all smiling. And Spidey's like, was that guy smiling just now? And that's the, uh, the, that's the panel that Rob Liefeld used in his first issue of the New Mutants. What is? In um, page seven, uh-huh. second panel. 
and also page six, maybe, but definitely page seven. Uh-huh. That panel of him upside down smiling like that when when the vulture is in the New Mutants, Rob Liefeld's first issue. Oh, he emulates this panel. That's cool. I don't remember that. Awesome. You, you have forgotten then because you actually brought it up in the last Vulture story. <laughs> well, I remember the one where he's where Spider-Man's grabbing him by the ankle. That's like from the cover. Yeah. I don't, well, there's like a couple. I, there are a couple of internal panels that are like lifts. Okay. I don't remember that from part, Ditko. I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I've read these issues so much that when I saw those panels in that Nubians, I was like, wait a second. I know this picture. That's from the Ditko Vulture. <laughs> this is all very Ditko for sure. Like this business where like Spidey can't see him because he's jumping. He's not falling. He's jumping down from ledge to ledge. So and then like Vulture times it just right to where he's peeking over the next ledge and he pops him. Yep. It's pretty good stuff. It is. His spider sense is going off um, and he still pops him. The public was saying nice things about Spider-Man. Yeah. Hey, look up there. That's pretty great. So um, Spider-Man hurts his arm. Uh Uh-huh. That's bad. Yeah. Can't get dressed. Aunt May's worried about him. He makes a web sling for himself, but we never actually see the sling that he's wearing. We see the the, the cloth sling that Peter Parker wears. Whenever he turns back into Spider-Man, and makes a web sling for himself. They don't actually draw the sling. I know. I noticed that, too. I didn't know what that was about. But but he does keep his arm bent the entire time, so he must have it on. Yeah, so it's there. Just I guess the web is so gossamer that you can't see it. And the doctor says, of course, he thinks Peter's human, but he says it'll take... A few weeks to heal, right? Right. And I know in the future it's established that Spider-Man heals faster. I assume they don't do that here. Well, they don't do it in this issue anyway. Um, well, the issue doesn't take that long. No. He could heal pretty quickly after. And actually, we could uh, headcanon. This is where he realizes he heals quickly. Mm-hmm. I assume I assume by next issue he's not sprained anymore. Right. So this uh, could just go away in a couple of weeks. So I didn't do a synopsis, but this little bit, like... They Betty and uh, Peter have a little moment before the end, and she's like, "You couldn't have sprained. Nobody sprains their arm playing volleyball. How, what'd you really do?" And he's like, "Okay, it happened in an air in the air while I was fighting the vulture for dear life." <laughs> she's like, "Oh well, ask a silly question." I just thought that but was I cute. I love his face on that. It's so yeah. nice. I can totally. Okay, so here's what really happened. I was fighting the vulture, mm-hmm. and I and she's like, "Okay, whatever." He's like, "Let's just stick to the volleyball story." Okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm liking Betty, which I know is dangerous because she's not going to be his girlfriend or his wife. But uh, I like her. No, she's not going to be his wife, but she's going to be around and part of his thing for a while. Yeah. Especially the pace that we're going. Betty's not going anywhere. Like, to me, Betty is uh, Ned whatever's wife. Unhappy unhappy wife. So that's all I I know about. Well, not Widow at the time I was reading. Uh, But yeah, eventually eventually Widow. Before that, like, abused wife. And then I've never read, like vintage Betty when she was like Peter Parker's uh, uh, of interest to Peter Parker. It'll be fun to go through it then because yeah. uh, she is an interesting person. Yeah. So the vulture swings in, uh-huh. flies in and on page 13 he has a gun. Again. Well, he had one earlier too. And where does that gun keep going? Where does he put it? Where Where is his holster? <laughs> it's, is he it's, putting up his butt? I don't know. It's best not to ask. Yeah. I don't know. It's like that scene in the Doctor Who episode where Captain Jack suddenly has a gun yeah. While completely naked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ladies, don't ask. <laughs> it, it he and the Volker the Volker, the Vulture agrees with me. The gun thing is actually pretty blah. Like 
I think he even says after Spidey takes the gun out of his hand, it's like, guns aren't my style anyway. It's like, yeah, you're right. They're not. They shouldn't be. That's just sort of, eh. Yeah. But I like his whole, his hunching back. They don't really do him with a hunching back very much. But he has a hunching back, which puts his little, like, collar thing towards the front. He just looks, he looks like a vulture. Oh, for he sure. He looks like the, the silhouette of a vulture. It's a, it's a neat design. And, um, and what color is he? He's green. Mm-hmm. He's also the plant man. All right, so this is an important moment in the development of the J. Jonah Jameson character. Okay. So J. Jonah Jameson has, except for his maybe slightly irrational hatred of Spider-Man, he hasn't really been that bizarre of a character. Uh-huh. He runs the paper. He doesn't like Spider-Man. He pays Peter for photos. But here, whenever the Vulture is confronting him... And he's going to steal Jonah's payroll, which is a lot of cash money Uh that would really hurt Jonah. Uh Jonah is understandably not wanting to lose that money. Right. But the way it's written here, Peter makes a big deal about it. Jameson's such a skinflint. He'd probably rather get shot than part with his dough. Right. Yeah. And now, like, like, like that going forward. Jameson's going to become more and more of a money miser. I mean, this would make Jane Foster super happy. She might date J. Jonah Jameson. Right. He's standing up to the villain. And to Peter, that's like he's standing up to the villain because he's a Scrooge and he doesn't want to get rid of his money. Like who in their right mind wouldn't want to lose their business? And you could also argue that payroll is for, you know, employees. So maybe he's not wanting to lose it for them, too. Mm-hmm. Not that he says that, but he doesn't really say all about me either. He just says he spent years building up this business. He doesn't want it to be destroyed. And combine that with the haggling for Peter's uh, photo price in the previous page. Uh-huh. I feel like we have some really sensible attitudes in this issue that are going to get turned into cartoonish attitudes later. Yeah. And also in my own little headcanon, I noted that he's like between Peter and the vulture. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just... For myself, I made him so that he did that on purpose to protect. I like that idea. I, I think Jameson would. Yeah, I do too. He doesn't actually say leave the kid alone or anything, but it does look like he has his arms outspread and Peter's standing behind him. So it kind of seems to me like he would rather he himself get shot than Peter. Mm-hmm. Of course, Peter doesn't appreciate that because it's his boss and he doesn't like his boss. And, you know, J. Jonas Jameson does hate Spider-Man, so. I really like this issue. I really like a lot of the stuff that goes on in the drama and everything building up to this. But I will tell you, I really love this fight scene. Uh huh. Like a lot. Um, the, there's all the people in the, in the building. There's the flying. There's the, the stairwells. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, the printing presses. Yeah. So much crazy childhood imagination. At the idea of them being able to fall to their deaths in the printing presses while they're fighting in the air. I mean, if you're going to fight in a newspaper building, there has to be printing press danger, right? Yeah. I have seen so many blood-covered rolls of newspaper (laughs) in my head going past because one of them fell into the – and their head gets smashed into jelly. and Yeah. Oh, my God. Or that time Batman's cape got stuck in it and his mask came off and Lois Lane found out that he was Bruce Wayne. And then the cyber dog almost killed him. But luckily, Superman showed up in the nick of time and stepped on it. That was cool, too. Did that happen? Yeah, that happened in a a cartoon. It was really neat. Okay. Is the the Bruce Tim cartoon, the Batman World's Finest, I think it's called. 
I have not seen that in a really oh. long time. I've, I've only seen it once. That's what it reminded me of because that was like the only other comic book uh, newspaper press I could think of. But I'm sure it's it's a, it's a thing that happens all the time. Right. So, yeah. The fight with the vulture, the printing presses, all that stuff. Really, really cool. And Spidey beats the vulture by pinning his wings. Yeah. That is such duh. Like an, a duh way to fight the vulture. Mm-hmm. Pin his wings. I enjoyed that dialogue, too. I mean, I don't want to read all of it. But Spidey, like after he gets... Oh, he gets out of like not being smushed by the printing press and he kind of knows that the vulture is going to grab him and he lets him all that, uh, you know, well, mercy me. Are you sure you were never vaccinated with a phonograph needle? Well, I'll admit I've had happier moments, you know, like he's just like he's just going along with it. And the vulture's just like so egocentric here about how he's going to destroy Spider-Man. And Spider-Man's like, yep, yep, you got me. You totally got me. Uh huh. This is the worst ever. But he doesn't. It just makes. It makes me think of the cartoon. You'll never stop a man with wings. Yeah. And, and Spider-Man totally has a plan. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I had a plan this whole time. Mm-hmm. Also, we get on page 20, he webs up J. Jonah Jameson's mouth and he says it will melt away in about an hour. Yeah. Which is the key description of Spider-Man's webs. And the first have- of what will probably be many times he webs J. Jonah Jameson's mouth. <laughs> yes and the issue ends with peter oh. and betty having their moment it's just such a good issue oh it's a very good moment again the villains ended the villains defeated and the issue's not over no it keeps going for like three pages yeah and it's all peter and mm-hmm. it's a good little like flirt i like it betty clearly he- clearly likes him yep and of course he likes her because he's a teenage boy and she's pretty I like that line, right. though. Peter, sometimes I get the feeling. And he, he, he kind of mouths off a bit. He's like, wrong. <laughs> That's an improvement. Yeah. And I think that gets Betty's attention. Because there's this line that I really like. Peter, sometimes I get the feeling that you're laughing at a secret little joke that's all your own. Which is totally true, by the way. It is. So she's perceptive. She may not know that he's Spider-Man, but she knows he's more than he seems to be. Right. And that is actually, actually... That plants the seed right here for their relationship and, and how it's going to grow and, and, and change over time. Because she suspects that he has something going on that he's not telling everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 7. Good stuff. Except, you know, it's still the Vulture. But I'll admit it was a much better Vulture than the last Vulture. Yeah. And you know what? This is this particular issue. You know what makes this special for this show? Hmm. This, what we just now did, was our 100th comics coverage. Seriously? We have done 100 of these things, Mike. Part of me thinks that's a lot. Part of me thinks that's it. But (laughs) (laughs) it took us 35 episodes, though, to get through 100 comics. 100, though. That's pretty good. Yeah. And we end on Spider-Man. Also pretty good. That is. That's that's pretty good here. I got to say, like, I think Spidey right now is the top just overall best comic book we read right now. Um, I I mean, I've always loved Spider-Man. Yeah. Fantastic Four is, is I, I realized Fantastic Four was the king of the company for a while, but I think it just took a while for everyone to catch on to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I think his stories are more human than the Fantastic Four, for sure. Yeah. The Fantastic Four, they have their dynamics, but it's, it's all kind of forced. Yeah. Much like Slightly. X-Men and Avengers and 
but Spider-Man just feels natural. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's working. It loves it. It's working. So where, um, where can people find us? They can find us, uh, by the name of our show, make ours Marvel, but just put a dot com after it with no spaces. That takes you to our website where all our episodes can be found. There'll be images and notes that go along with what we're talking about. And then on the left-hand side, there's this big bar full of stuff that you might be interested in, like an RSS feed link and a link to subscriptions for iTunes and Google and Androids and whatever else. And then lastly, on that site, you can find a form that you can fill out to send us a message. Or if you don't like forms, you can just go podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And I have other shows. I forgot to mention these last episode. I have other shows. I have all the pouches mm-hmm. and image comics podcast at johnreadscomics.com. And as a recording, as I have just recently started, but as you're listening to it, it's probably old hat. Also at johnreadscomics.com is a show that I do with my son, Super Silly Sentai, where we are talking about the old Super Sentai Japanese superhero show that became the Power Rangers, kind of sort of in a long roundabout way. And um, over on our social medias, the Make Ours Marvel social medias, y'all have been supporting the show. You've been liking the show. You've been following the show. Been retweeting episodes. That's always appreciated. And we just like to say hello to all of our new followers. So hello to Art by Athena at Art by Athena One. Hello to Yomo. He's a sports nut, a soul boy, an old school gamer who loves to explore new places and cultures. He's been following us. We got a follow from someone. Now, I don't know if, if, if they left and came back, if they unfollowed us and refollowed us, or if I just didn't realize they weren't following us. But Tim Price at Tim Price 17 has started following us, but he retweets us like every week. So I thought he was there. And finally, a musing moose. Not amusing, but a musing moose mm-hmm. he has been following us on twitter so welcome very much to the twitters and social medias um <clears throat> were you gonna say something i was just gonna say thanks everybody for following us i appreciate it yeah all right well we will be back next week to finish out september 1963 with um what do we got next we've got like the torch and the fantastic four and iron man still to talk about from this month yay so that's next episode so until then and until the vulture goes to live in a nursing home with aunt may make ours marvel Marvel.